Hey, Fifth Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of Subjectively Speaking. I am Laura, and of course, as you've listened earlier this week, you know that Jeremy and I are not doing the episodes together because we are doing our we're going to call them famous because I think this is like our third year now that we've done them, but our famous exit interviews at the end of the season um, where we invite in our very special friend, Stephen, to ask us some, you know, really intriguing and interesting questions about how the season went, um, how, you know, the podcast stuff went for us and just really go over all the nitty gritty from the last, you know, nine to 10 months. So, you know, we'll just get these things rolling and we'll welcome in Steven. Hi, Steven. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Like we were talking off mic, I'm trying to pack up my whole existence. And so if you could see behind my laptop, it's just nothing but chaos. So, <laughs> but what's on the camera right now, though, right? Exactly. Exactly. But thankfully, because we're recording these episodes early, I'm going to have a lot more time this week. So that will be great. And Jeremy's actually going to get some hopefully much needed vacation time um, this week as well. So it'll be a, a good positive for us. But how are you doing? Doing really well. Doing really well. It's been a productive uh, weekend here, and it's been relatively nice weather here in Columbus, too. So it's made it all that much more enjoyable. And so, yeah, it's been a, a really good and relaxing weekend here for sure. Awesome. I love that. And you need those because as we've said on the show uh, several times, that Stephen is getting married in a little over a month. Yes. And um, Jeremy's in the wedding and I'm attending the wedding. So we're very excited. And we know you and Rachel are very excited. But so you got yeah. a lot of stuff going on. So a relaxing weekend is needed. For sure. And she has actually been gone all weekend. So it'll be nice to kind of reconnect with her. She's on her last rotation for veterinary school and so she's almost done five days away from becoming a doctor so ready to have a little bit more normalcy in our lives if that's even possible 35 days before our wedding <laughs> and so a lot of exciting times coming up and speaking of exciting we have some exciting questions to go through for our exit interview and so laura are you ready for your exit interview for the blue jackets 2022-2023 season I am ready. Let's go. All right. Let's jump right into it. Much the same as last year. Very similar structure. If you already listened to Tuesday's episode with the interview with Jeremy, it'll be the same structure for today's conversation with Laura, where we'll split it just as a hockey game does into three periods with a couple intermissions in between. Starting off firstly with talking about the season that was for the Blue Jackets. Unfortunately, I have to use the word was there <laughs> instead of is because they're not playing anymore. But the season that was for the Blue Jackets really just maybe wasn't what people were expecting. And so to start off, I want to give a quick summary of the season that was for the Blue Jackets. They finish 25-48-9 with 59 points and 31st place in the NHL. 
And the statement that really sums up the season for the Blue Jackets, Columbus set a franchise record with 563 man games lost to injury. So a season riddled with injuries from the very start. But Laura, we're going to start off giving a couple of grades to the Blue Jackets. Overall, what grade would you give the season for the Blue Jackets? Oh, God. Um... I, okay, I'm just going to be honest. I give it a D. Like, it just was such a hot mess the whole time. Like, even even in the mo- in the good moments, the, the few that were there, and in, like, the progress that we've seen in, in some of our prospect players and some of the rookies, like, it just was a shit show. Like, it just from the get, like, when you are three and nine in your first 12 games and, like, two of your star players get injured in those first, you know, 12 games, like there's nothing but heartache coming your way. And, you know, we, we embarrassed ourselves a couple pretty big times. I, I don't think that anyone's looking fondly on our, uh, you know, debut on the <laughs> international stage uh, in Finland as those games did not go very well. And, um, we had a pretty, pretty embarrassing loss to Buffalo, uh, in December and it just, things just kept going. I mean, we had some bright spots, but, um, I'm not going to give it a full F, but I'm definitely going to give it a D. Laura giving it a grade of D Jeremy giving a grade of F. So he did go all the way to an F for the season regardless of injury is pretty much what he was talking about for his answer there so wow very similar in your answers a lot of disappointment in the season right but Mm. one of the things that was consistent throughout the season for the blue jackets was the inconsistency and a lot of changes came to the organization specifically thinking around the trade deadline too. A lot of veteran experience left the Blue Jackets organization in Gavrikov, Nyquist, Corpusalo, and Voracek all exiting and some extra goaltenders coming in for the Blue Jackets during that trade deadline. So thinking about that, what grade would you give for the trade deadline for this season for the Blue Jackets? Oh, that question is hard because from a business perspective, and from what I know, it will hopefully open up for us in the in the off season is like it's what we had to do. Like we we had to get rid of these players in order to free up cap space and to basically avoid. I don't know what would have happened with Corpy. I think he would have probably been open to you know, thinking about a contract if they even wanted to offer it to him. But Gabby was going to walk, I'm fairly certain. Like, he liked his time in Columbus, but um, I think he is ready to move on to a different market. And he's even shown that with the Kings. Like, they offered him a contract right away, and he was like, no, I'm okay. I'm going to explore free agencies. So, um, and like with Voracek, that's, kind of a real painful one because essentially us trading him away is the ending of his career. Like he won't ever actually play in Arizona. Um, They're just going to take his contract and there's only one more year on it. So he'll write it out. But um, yeah. And Gus was just, you know, Gus was sad because Gus had been injured and we hadn't seen him play and 
all that sort of stuff. So I think from a business perspective, because I'm going to give it two grades and Jeremy will be, Jeremy can just deal. Um, <laughs> from a business perspective, I'm going to give it a B because they were necessary. We didn't exactly get like the best situations out of it. And obviously we got ourselves into some drama with the Kings trading us, Jonathan Quick, and then us having to figure out how to give him get him somewhere else because he wasn't ever going to agree to play in Columbus. Um, and so that, you know, made things messy. But at the end of the day, I think Yarmo got done what he needed to get done. And we got some temporary help, not the best temporary help, but like we got some temporary help. So from a business perspective, I'm going to give it a B from an emotional standpoint and from like a fan perspective, <laughs> this one like was painful um because these were players that like people loved and have you know have really succeeded with the exception of Borchek, have really succeeded in leaving columbus like gavi and corpy um were doing well with the kings and i don't know much about if gus has even played for minnesota in the playoffs or not but um you know gus has been a, like such a true blue blue jacket since we acquired him and he loves Columbus and he never wanted to leave. So those things always make me upset. So from a fan perspective, I'm going to give it like a C minus. So, cause it's just sad. Jeremy went with a grade of B plus. So very similarly, he was also more business minded in his answer and kind of to what you were talking about there also freeing up cap space. So Coming at it from that perspective, you all were very similar in your analysis of the situation. Interestingly, though, um, last year during our exit inter interviews, both of you had Jakub Voracek as your number one star of the season. And so seeing him go, I feel like from more of a fan's perspective, instead of looking at it more with a business mentality, was definitely sad to see him go after the season that he had last year with the Blue Jackets. But we'll get to stars in just a few moments. What I want to ask first, though, is a question that is new to the rotation this year. And it was Ooh. a little bit of a stumper for Jeremy, so you can take a moment if you need. But thinking okay. about, you know, the changes that we've already mentioned um, in the veterans or the names who were leaving the organization at the trade deadline, but a lot of the new faces that we saw throughout the entire season for the Blue Jackets. There are a lot of changes to the lines for the Blue Jackets throughout the season. In your opinion, what was the best line that the Blue Jackets put out on the ice this season? Ooh. Oh, God. This is a tough question because there have been a million and a half people. I mean, 49 people wore a Blue Jacket sweater this season. And for people who are unfamiliar, Rosters are only 23 people. So like to have they double that, <laughs> they are not, they are not at all actually. Um, so to have that many people wear a blue jacket sweater makes it difficult um, to kind of narrow this down and, oh God. And just like some lines just really didn't work. And there was only like a couple that you can really say that did if they were consistently together. Cause like, I think some people would say like in the perfect scenario when everyone was healthy, you could say Johnny Boone and Patrick because that's like your ideal circumstances. Um, but 
not everyone was healthy all the time. Patrick was injured a ton. Boone was injured for a short amount of time. I mean, Johnny is a workhorse and he, I think missed two games uh, with a broken finger. Um, But, Oh God. And I think, I think I have to give it to you because this was a line that I was really sad when one of them did eventually get injured. And so I think I'm going to go with, Oh, now I'm going to have to remember who the other person was. Oh yes. Eric Robinson, um, Sean Corrali and Matthew Olivier because they just had a lot of great, and I really hope I'm not wrong that Robbie was on that line. I just know it was Corrali and Olivier. We're going to go with it. Um, that formation of a line was just really good together. And they did everything that you want a fourth line to do, which is just be like scrummy and just sort of like push people around. And, you know, you're not really looking at them to score, but. You just want them to be physical and be present and, you know, be that sort of backbone that we need that the first, like that the top line doesn't normally provide. Cause it's mostly about scoring and play development, all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's going to be that line, which was for sure Corrali and Olivier, but we're going to go with Robbie <laughs> on the other side, which I'm pretty, I'm 96% certain that that's what it was. But for yeah. anyone who is, listening to this episode <laughs> on Tuesday, you heard the exact same answer given Shut by up! for the line of Corrali, Olivier and Robinson. Woohoo, I was Jeremy right. specifically mentioned Robinson last in that line. You mentioned him first, but all the same, that line seems to be between you both. The one that really stands out to you the most. He also mentioned the, the other line of uh, Gaudreau lane and Boone Jenner as well. And so one of the names that Jeremy brought up um, in that conversation, but that I want to bring up now um, is someone by the name of Kirill Marchenko, because he was definitely one of the brightest spots of the Blue Jackets season. And in the end of season, season by the numbers situation that the Blue Jackets put out, which I think is always really great to kind of reflect back onto the season. They have like some numbers that they give. Mm. And one of the ones was talking about Marchenko and the fact that he posted 21 goals, which set the rookie goal scoring record for the Blue Jackets, passing PLD's 20 set back in the 2017-2018 season. Yep. And so when you think about that, is he the person who exceeded your expectations the most this season? Or does someone else kind of fill that spot for you and who might that be if it's not him gotcha um well Kirill definitely I I don't know if he exceeded my expectations but we've been hearing about him for years now probably at least three or four because he was stuck over in the KHL finishing out a contract which is why he's a little bit older coming over um to the US to the US and to the NHL and he's just kind of been this person that like everyone's been like, oh my God, when when people when he gets over here, like it's gonna be a game changer. He's you know gonna be you know this huge deal and all this sort of stuff. And um I'm always kind of one of those people that's more sensitive to their transition over to the NHL where I'm like, 
oh God, it's a lot of pressure to put on someone to just throw them in the NHL, throw them in a brand new country that they have not lived in, throw them in the NHL, which is different. The KHL is probably the closest as far as like rink size and stuff, but you know, rink, different rink size, different speed of game, different expectations, like learning English, all these sorts of things. Like, you know, just, it's a huge deal. And so I think for me, and I think how the team handled it, he met my expectations exactly as they were. I think it was a great decision to start him, start the season with him in Cleveland. Um, I think the experience and the opportunity to grow that he was given in that situation was absolutely priceless for him um, because he got to work through the learning curves. He got to figure out how to be an NHL level player without the horrendous amount of like stress upon him and without like, not that there's not expectations in Cleveland because there are, and they are very winning focused too, but it's, you know, it's our farm team for a reason. Like you're preparing people to come up to the NHL. So like that is also its purpose. Um, so for me, I like, I think everything went to plan for him. Like in my mind, I mean, I know he wanted to score more goals in his first season. Um, and we knew a little bit about his personality going into the season. Cause we had had some like casual interactions with him um, when we were in Traverse city. So I knew right away, he's going to be a great locker room guy, like all this sort of stuff. And, and yeah, I just, I can't wait to see what happens. I hope he exceeds my expectations next year, but for this year, I think he did, you know, aces and I'm really like, really happy with that. I will say the person that I think exceeded my expectations is actually Matthew Olivier. Like I didn't know much about him. I don't think really anybody knew much about him. He had very sort of mixed experience. He played some games in the NHL, but was mostly like an AHL guy. And, you know, he was, he, you know, came in and he was like, Oh, he's going to be an enforcer like this. And, Every time they say that normally with someone that we bring in, you're like, is he though? Like, <laughs> is he actually going to be like an enforcer? Is he actually going to be willing to drop the gloves and like, you know, play like old school, old school Jody Shelley or like stuff like that. So anytime they bring someone in like that, I always have really low expectations because they just don't ever turn out to be them. And pretty quickly, like in training camp, he was like really giving feedback to the coaches that was like, please let me show you what I can do. Like, please let me show you. He's like, I may not be adding up like with some of these other guys as far as like other skills are considered, but like, let me show you what I can do. Let me teach these guys how to fight in a game. And for me like that, I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, I like this guy. Like, let's see what he can do. And like all throughout the season, um, even when he was, you know, fighting to come back from injury, like he never quit. He never quit. He was constantly looking for ways to show what he could bring to the team. And in moments that were really bad, he would do whatever he could. Like this man is volunteering to get himself punched in the face to rile up his teammates, like to, <laughs> to bring like a spirit and a competitiveness 
like to his team he is like please punch me in the face like let's go um and yeah he's just like a true blue guy like he has a great personality and he just he knows what his role is and he wants to be successful at it like he's not trying to be someone else like he knows he may not be the fastest he may not be the highest scoring like but he can hit people and he can you know he can be aggressive and he can stand up for people and so for me he really exceeded those initial expectations and I, I hope he's a Blue Jacket for a decently long time because I think he's great. It sounds like you're big on the energy that he brought to the locker room for sure, especially maybe for a lot of the younger guys that don't have a lot of NHL experience under their belt yet, which I think mm-hmm. is valuable in the locker room at this point in time for the organization. And so, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, stands out to me about what you were talking about for him is that he was kind of a player that you didn't really expect to shine over the course of the season, but you know, like you said, exceeded your expectations. But speaking of shining, one of the things that we have to talk about, if we're talking about hockey and talking about blue jackets, hockey, especially as we are wrapping up our first period of action for the exit interview, we would be remiss if we didn't ha- hand out our three stars of the season. So, Laura, for you, who are your three stars of the season for the Blue Jackets? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I think for my third star, I'm going to go with Johnny Gaudreau. I think for being the player that played the most games out of the entire season for taking what he was presented with, which is a team that was in a much worse shape than he thought um, for having to, I mean, I know that he's, he's a very casual guy. Like he doesn't, at least from an outward perspective, he doesn't pay too much attention to like what, you know, the press or whatever saying about him and whatnot. But to really deal with the unexpected explosion that was him deciding to come to Columbus and basically that storyline following him throughout the entire season. I mean, getting booed in cities that didn't even have anything to do with him and where he was going to go, like, you know, and just dealing with constantly being asked, like, so do you regret deciding to come here? Are you going to be asking for a trade? Like, all this sort of stuff and just continuously putting his all like out on the ice. Like there were moments where he played entire periods of overtime because he just refused to leave. Like you could hear like Lars and stuff trying to call him back like to the bench. And he's just was like, no, I'm not like we're winning this game or I'm dying out here. Like, and I think that that shows, you know, obviously he's an incredible hockey player, but I think he had to learn a lot of things coming to Columbus. And I think that that has made him, and I've said this about like Patrick Line too, but coming to Columbus makes you learn how to be a different kind of player. Like you have to learn how to be an all around player. You have to really learn how to be a teammate because it's like a all hands on deck situation all the time. And so, and I think he, in his exit interview, really pointed to that too. He's like, 
there were times I'd be on the ice and I didn't know what I was supposed to do because it just was a different kind of hockey. And he admits that fully. And he's like, I can't wait to come back in, you know, for training camp and all this sort of stuff. Know everybody in the locker room, know most of everybody in the locker room, get with this new coach and like really become a Columbus Blue Jacket. Um, so for me, he gets, he gets my third star. Oh God. Um, second star. I really wanted it to do like other people in forwards, but like defensive people just really broke my heart this season. <laughs> so it's hard to pick one that I would be like, yeah, he was great. Um, I think second star, I'm going to go with Marchie, like Marchenko, like, like, I, and I won't drone on about him again, because obviously I just spoke a ton about him, but just, he was the bright light. Like he was absolutely the bright light and all of his teammates, like when asked about him, like they just get a huge smile on their face and he just kept all of them like motivated and like excited to go back on the ice because he's just happy to play hockey. Like he's just grateful that someone's giving him an opportunity to live out his dream and he's going to take advantage of every single moment of it. And he proved that like, you know, his first season didn't even play a full season and like matched, if not had more than all the other rookies in goals, like, and played 33 less games than them. So Got to work on the assists. He's not a huge, like, <laughs> he's not a huge proponent of helping other people. But, um, but no, I just, I think he's great. And I, you know, like I said, I can't wait to see um, what he does. And then I'm sure he will make fun of me for this because it's such a Homer thing to say. But my number one star is Boone Jenner. Like, I cannot say enough about, as the captain of this team, what he has had to go through this past season. And from obviously not knowing him personally, but like what I can feel from his personality, because as you know, Stephen, I am an incredibly empathetic person. And so um, I just know how much he has put on himself for the performance of this team this season and how he has had to really pivot pretty much every game because every game was a different circumstance. We either had someone else injured. We had someone coming back. We had someone brand new from Cleveland. You know, we had some, you know, crazy circumstance happening. Like you were trying to rebound from a terrible loss. Like you were having these confusing situations where you'd play incredible against the best teams in the league. And then you would completely shit the bed against like your fellow bottom dwellers. Like that's so much. And as the captain of the, plus he was losing his entire support system in other captains. Like Zach was out. We traded Gus away. Johnny randomly became an alternate captain. Sean Corrali became an alternate captain. Like all these, you know, sorts of things. Like clearly now that we know, that the conversation about getting rid of Lars happened, we think pretty much a lot earlier than most people suspected. You had to know he was in on those conversations as well in some way, shape or form or felt it in the room that things were going to not go well at the end of the season. And, you know, 
that's just so much. But the team looked to him at every single moment. Like, you knew the difference between a game that Boone was playing in and a game that Boone wasn't playing in. And that's leadership to me. And, like, to be able to pull them all through this ridiculous season. And when we spoke to him, we asked him, like, what was your method of like integrating all of these new people, this revolving door of humans. And he really took it personal. He's like, I sit down with them. I get to know them. I tell them like, don't change your game. Like we're not here for you to try and match like anything, like follow the plays, do what you do best. And like the rest of it will come together. And to take that time and to still make them feel welcome and to still make them feel like there's a passion in the locker room, regardless of what the wins and losses look like. Like I just can't, I can't pick anybody else other than him. So my first star is definitely Boone Jenner. So your three stars, Goudreau, second star, Marshenko, first star, Boone Jenner, Jeremy, very, very similar. Really? His third star, Johnny Gaudreau. His second star, Boone Jenner. His first star, Kirill Marchenko. So great minds think alike. And definitely, it seems like from your perspective, the three standout players deserving of those spots for this season. So we're going to wrap up the first period of action and head into our first intermission now. Last year, I asked you all what your favorite game of the season was. This year, I have something to say the blue jacket beat the pittsburgh penguins in overtime three to two on april 13th beating them for the first time in the regular season since november 29th 2019 Mm -hmm. why or why not was this the most decisive game (laughs) of the season for the blue jackets oh because basically it's the reason why we're not the dead last team in that (laughs) Um, All times to get that <laughs> victory for the first time in nearly four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've dealt with a lot of like situations on social media this season, but never in our wildest dreams did we ever think that this, A, that this would happen, and B, that it would be such a shitstorm. Like, because as a, as a Blue Jackets fan, you want nothing more than for us to beat the Penguins. Like, and that should be like, it doesn't matter if it's preseason. It doesn't matter if it's like, you know, Stanley Cup. Like, you just want to beat the the Penguins. Like, and I, that was one of the first things that I fell into as a Blue Jackets fan was I hate the Penguins. I hate them. Like, and I'm, I'm really good at hating them. And, you know, Jeremy and I had conversations off and on, either on mic or off about, you know, the situation of, like, the tank and, like, you know, being upset that people weren't getting on board with the tank and, like, how important it was for us to tank at some point. Like, and the thing is, and, like, people say this because it's true, the players were never going to do that. Like, and we even said it, like, they were doing their most to be bad. Like, they were... Given what they were given, they were as bad as they possibly could be. Short of, like, pretending that they were, like, seven-year-olds playing t-ball and sitting in the grass, like, 
they were doing everything to be bad. So, <laughs> and it, it comes to this point where you look at like being a rational fan and being like a completely irrational situation. And like, and there's people in the middle too. Cause like you can understand why, like, obviously you can be like, yes, of course this is their job. Like a lot of these guys are playing for contracts. A lot of these guys are playing for trade like worth and all this sort of stuff. Like, it's their job. Like they're getting paid millions of dollars to do this job and they're not going to just like tank. Like they're not just going to suck to suck. And like, especially the guys that were coming up from Cleveland at the very end, getting their first opportunities to play in the NHL, you could not look any of them. No one. I mean, I'm, a lot of people said it online, but you would never walk up to that person who is looking at achieving one of their life's dreams to play in the NHL and be like, hey, I'm going to need you to not be impressive. And I'm going to need you to not try your hardest. And I'm just going to need you to like, just look terrible on the ice. It's not happening. These guys have worked their entire lives. Most NHL players started skating when they were like toddlers. Like, this is in their blood. Like, it's just not going to happen. And when this, like, I wasn't sure what Pittsburgh team we were going to get when we played them on the 13th because they were eliminated from the playoffs the night before. And there was rumor that, like, they were going to pull a bunch of their, like, major players, like Sidney Crosby and um, all those sorts of people because, obviously, like, you don't need them to play against us. Like we are the, at that point, the 32nd worst team in the league. And, but then it came out like that afternoon that no, these guys are going to go in because they wanted to play full seasons. Um, Cause you know, they hadn't done that. You know, Sidney Crosby has been injured on and off the last few years and like all these other people on the penguins. And so they really wanted to play full season. So, okay, cool. Well, then you get to this game, and again, it's our second-to-last home game of the season. It's another sold-out crowd nationwide. And you have this weird opportunity. And then this is why I also think that Lars knew that he was going to get fired at the end of the season. Because you can tell that he told them to go out there and play like it was going to be their last game ever. Like you go out there and you play your asses off and they still struggle. Don't get me wrong. Like we had to win that game in overtime. Like, and it wasn't like it was a huge dip. Like we won three, two, like it wasn't <laughs> like a huge thing. Um, because in a season like that, like that, and yes, I understand like, this may hurt us in the draft uh, lottery next week, but it was in that moment where like, I don't think even the most mad of fans, if they really thought about it, would give up that feeling of finally beating the pens after such a long time. And, and truly seeing them at the, at their worst. Like they have like the first time in years, I think, 16 years or something like that that they hadn't been in the playoffs and like really just given an opportunity to kick them when they were down <laughs> and 
you know, and there's there's also the and I talked a little bit like the conspiracy theory of like the pens playing poorly on purpose because they knew if we beat them, it would kick us to 31st. Um, and, you know, sure. I don't guys in the NHL don't really care about the draft. Like they don't like even Johnny Gaudreau said himself, he's like, I don't even know how the draft lottery works or like really how <laughs> that goes. And you're like, dude, you're one of the best players in that whole league and you are openly admitting you don't know how a process works. But all of them are like that. They don't really care. Like once they get through their own draft situation, if they are drafted, they don't care. Like it's just another guy coming in to the locker room in the fall when they come back for camp. Like that kind of is what it is. Yes, they probably know something about Connor Bedard, um, but they also don't have time to watch these like junior league players play during the season. Like, it's just not a thing really. That's for fans and for scouts and for, you know, journalists and stuff to, to pay attention to. But I was personally very happy. I know Jeremy was mad, (laughs) but I personally saw it as like a moral victory of like, we finally got an opportunity to kick them when they were down and like took advantage of it. But it was very much so. Yeah. I think more hate was online than, than when Buffalo kicked our asses in December. And I can't remember what his name is, but that kid got like five goals against us. So, and arguably that's a worse situation. Like that says more about where the team is than, than this situation with Pittsburgh, but yeah, I was okay with it. (laughs) Definitely an inflection point for a lot of fans and you know what they were, uh, what they were thinking about the end of the season of note, the Anaheim ducks rattled off a 13 game losing streak in order to finish last place in the NHL this season. As our second and final question of the first intermission, though, I want to talk about hockey that is still currently being played. Unfortunately, Blue Jackets, once again, not a part of that. But in your expertise, who do you think makes it to the Stanley Cup finals this year? What two teams are playing for the Stanley Cup and who eventually lifts the trophy for you this season? Well, as long as they don't fuck it up today, um, in my prediction, the Boston Bruins will be facing off against the Edmonton Oilers, which I think is Jeremy's exact matchup to you, according to our brackets. But there's a high, the the Bruins, uh, this is definitely, I mean, it's game seven tonight against Florida. And I don't think anyone expected it to go this long. Um, The Bruins had an incredible season. And I'm saying all this with the note that like I it's like a publicly known thing that I hate the Boston Bruins. Like I hate them. I don't want any good to come with them. The only person that I like is Nick Foligno. I want joy for him, but like everyone else can go kick rocks. But you can't deny the incredible season that they have had. And it's kind of one of those things where like, you don't want them to sort of follow like the president's cup curse, which is, you know, like you do super well during the regular season and then you just can't maintain it during the postseason. Um, 
because obviously we saw that with the Panthers and the Flames last year during the playoffs. Like both of them had such incredible seasons and then they just got kicked out in round one. And you're like, oh, that sucks. I mean, it's great when you're the team that kicks someone out, like when we kicked Tampa out in 2019. But, you know, it's still like it's a bummer to see these teams like and all of that work go to waste. So my hope is that the Bruins will put it to bed tonight with the Panthers and just move on to round two. I do, however, not look forward to their round two, which would be against Toronto, because I also dislike Toronto. And the ego of those two teams is just too much for me. Like, Jeremy's going to have to watch the games and then just tell me what happens, because I can't. There's too many players that I don't like their attitudes, and I don't like... Ooh, it's just too much negative energy for me. Um, but I do think in that situation, I think Toronto has gassed themselves so much just to get out of the first round that I don't know that they would be able to keep up with the Bruins. And I think the Bruins will kind of like roll over them. So, which would be funny for me. But so, yeah, I do think in the end, it will be the Bruins and the Oilers. And then I hope that weirdly I hope that the Bruins win it just because I want to see Nick Foligno with the cup like you don't get tried and true more than Nick Foligno and as our former captain like you just you just want that for him his dad was a Stanley Cup champion like his brother will potentially be if Minnesota you know ever gets further down the line um than they have in the past couple years like that's just too much to not hope that for him so Unfortunately, I'm rooting for the Bruins. <laughs> it happens. Wanting to wish Blue Jackets players success, I feel like at this point takes precedence over anything else. And so I definitely hear you on that. I know me personally, back in March, when they were making an incredible run and trying to make a historic season and set the wins record, I put some money down on the Bruins to win the Stanley Cup. I don't know if you've had an opportunity. Have you put any money down on any of the current matchups for the Stanley I Cup? Have, I have not, because I, which is terrible, because obviously we are sponsored by sports betting. But I have not. But I definitely know someone who has. <laughs> who could you be talking about? Could it be me? Could it be me? I uh, bet you all thought you heard the last of me on this episode, but uh, think again, because here I am to tell you all about the incredible things that DraftKings has to offer you this postseason. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Right now, the top two teams, odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. You might want to go check that out and put some money down if it's something that sounds interesting to you. The Maple Leafs at a plus 350 to win the Stanley Cup and the Oilers at a plus 450 two Canadian teams sitting there at the top of those odds. So if that sounds interesting to you, go check it out. And if you want to see all the different game props, all that kind of stuff, you're going to want to check out DraftKings Sportsbook. You're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. 
www.hopeny.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of the Boo Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and up in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. All right, everybody, let's face it. With coffee starting at $5, and, and that's without any customization. I'm an oat milk guy myself, so, like, add another dollar there. But our bank accounts somehow always are depleting, and we're officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the exact same thing, but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate, or a dupe, is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. And one dupe that you definitely should not sleep on are Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen on to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Maybe you're somebody who just can't justify spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on headphones, and I'm with you. I'm the same kind of guy. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of these other more big-name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy now, pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product protection insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews. And folks, there's so many features that I just can't stop talking about in terms of Raycon's wireless earbuds. You've got three customizable sound profiles, so whether you, you want to listen to music a certain kind of way, you want to listen to a podcast a certain kind of way, you can set those up yourself. They have awareness mode, and not to mention they've got eight hours of playtime, which for me, as somebody who always forgets to charge things, that's perfect. So you're going to want to buy these. You're going to want to buy these. And to do so, you're going to go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off of your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And now I'm going to throw it back to Laura and Steven. Y'all better say something nice about me. But here's Laura and Steven. He's always so good at those ad reads. He just does such a good job. I can't do them because they're not believable coming from me. But... He's definitely good. From, from what I've listened to, he is definitely a pro at them. And so we are going to now take an opportunity to move into our second period of action and talk about the offseason and what is coming up for the Blue Jackets. And we would be remiss not to start off this part of the exit interview with talking about the fact that Brad Larson is out as head coach of the Blue Jackets. And also, Manny Legace is out as goaltending coach as well. And so, Laura, the question I have for you is, where do the Blue Jackets go from here? As an organization, when you're looking for a new coach, on top of that, of, you know, where do the Blue Jackets go, from your perspective, what would you like to see out of the next head coach of the Blue Jackets? Or who would you like to see, if there's a specific name that comes to mind, who you would want to see on the bench for the Blue Jackets next season? Ooh, this is a question where I think Jeremy definitely had better answers because he knows so much more about the league than I do. Um, so I don't necessarily have like specific coaches because I'm just not great at knowing who other coaches are. 
Um, or if I do, I don't know what their names are. Probably like so-and-so's coach is really great. And like that man with the gray hair and the glasses. Like I don't, um, but I have like opinions on the type of coach that I want to see in both of those positions, but I'll start with goaltending. Cause that's a little, a little bit more of my wheelhouse. As you know, I am, you know, goalie is my favorite position on the teams and I am an Elvis apologist. So um, for, for that situation, like I thought Manny was a great coach. I think um, he has a lot of experience. I thought in the first couple of years that he was with Elvis, that he really helped him adjust coming over from Europe. Um, he really changed his style of play. And we saw that we saw the building blocks of Elvis becoming a NHL level goalie and a superstar, hopefully. The issue with the situation with Manny is that he and Elvis, I think, went through too much stuff personally together, where the relationship between coach and player was now blurred with coach, mentor, family, confidant, like support person, everything like that. And you cannot blame anything for that. Going through the kind of tragedy that the two of them went through together with the loss of Matisse Kivlenix, you, I would not expect anything else to come out of that circumstance. Like, it's just too big of a tragedy to not expect them to lean on each other, to get more involved in each other's lives, to like all this sort of stuff, because it's just too big. But the problem with that is that in some way, shape, or form, things start becoming laxed whether it be discipline, whether it be, you know, trainings, whether it be different approaches to certain problems that come up, like whether you're doing it purposely or not, something becomes lax. And Elvis is the type of player that if he doesn't have really strict guidelines and really a really focused coach, he's not going to fulfill his like expectations like he's not going to live up to what we all well what people still believe that he can be and you know obviously a lot of people at the end of the season were saying after Elvis's exit interview that you know we'll believe it when we see it like you know him saying like no one's more upset about my performance than I am and I'm still a person who very much believes that this is the truth like I think Elvis has lived his entire life to be an NHL goalie. I think he lives his entire life to be a success in this, in this sport. And he's seen a lot of success over in Europe. And I think we saw a good glimmer of that because he would not have got the contract that he got two years ago. If he hadn't like Yarmo's not stupid. Like everyone thinks like, that they just gave him a contract because of his name and his personality. Like, no, you have to have like talent and like evidence to back that up in order to get that big of an NHL contract. And so what I want for him is someone who is going to just be his coach is going to just be his coach is going to focus strictly on what he's doing in his training, like experimenting with new like aspects of his game and just get him to focus on the play. Cause that's what he needs. Like he just, he needs 
strictly someone who's there to kick his ass every single day until he shows what I know his potential is and what everyone who saw it before knows like that's what he needs and I I do fully believe that that is what Yarmo is looking for and I do fully believe that Elvis is handling this situation with Manny much better than I think he would have a couple of years ago um and he's open he's open and ready for a new coach so that's a positive step Plus, we have a, a whole other level of goaltending issues that need to be figured out now that Corpy's not with us, now that Tarasov is proving to be more injury-prone than we ever expected. I mean, he's 22 and already had a surgery that Corpy had at 28. So, like, it's not looking as solid in goaltending as we originally anticipated, I think. And I think Yarmo really wants to not only better set up the big club, but also better set up Cleveland. Because if you heard his one press conference, he apologized to Cleveland because we fucked them over this past season. Like we kept having to play, we kept having to pull not only all of their forwards and defensemen, but their goaltenders too, and put really young goalies into such situations that they weren't ready for. And that like, that is a real detriment to their progress and Yarma wants to make up for that so for me it needs to be like kind of a coach that's gonna be a dick and like I'm okay with it like I'm okay with someone who's gonna bark at Elvis and someone who's gonna like I said kick his ass every single day and get him up to the potential that he has and as far as that goes with the main or the head coach uh, I would like to see someone who has who does not work for the Columbus Blue Jackets currently. Um, I think it would be a major mistake to hire from inside the house again. Lars, at the time that Lars was hired, I think it was the right decision because we were at the beginning of a rebuild. I think that first year that he was a coach was a fluke. And that's what really like messed everything up for him and his his coaching tenure um because they did perform so much better that first year than anyone anticipated and then to have this shit show come in the second year like it just it just didn't work out um so i think someone who's going to bring in a new system who doesn't know our current system and who isn't going to continue a system that we've had for the last now eight years because Torts was here for six and Lars was under Torts that whole time. So he just essentially, other than being nicer to the players, kind of continued in that same John Tortorella fashion, um, just in like a kinder way, um, with the exception of like not holding hard enough practices, which still blows my mind. But that's a conversation for another day. So I would like someone who is not from inside the house. I would like someone who is not a brand new coach to the NHL. Um, because I think we're in a place right now where we have too many young players to have a brand new NHL coach. They need someone who has the experience. Ideally, I don't know that if we, I don't know that we could afford anyone at this level at this point, but I would like someone who's won a Stanley cup. Um, 
I think that that brings the level of potential winningness into the room um, that management and the front office wants because they've been very clear that they want the team to start winning and they want the team to start winning now. So I think you need a coach that has had that experience, that has seen, which we had with Torch. He'd won a Stanley Cup before coming to Columbus. Um, Two, actually, I think he had won before coming to Columbus. But we need that energy back in the room if that's the path that they want to take. If they want to accelerate this process of going through the rebuild and getting us quicker back into competition, we need a coach who's been there before. And who see and who's bought into our situation. That's another thing. Um, they need to understand where we're at and where we want to go and what we have to work with. Because we have some room to make some changes this summer in the offseason. Um, we definitely have some pieces that we need to solidify, like a number one center. Because, man, I love Boone Jenner. But, and he did great with what he was given. But... Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Line need a number one center. We need to shore up another number one, number two defenseman to support Zach Wierenski because he can't carry this situation on his back and he is injury prone. So we need someone else who is at his same caliber to be able to play when he's out if he continues getting injured as frequently. And we need, you know, another solid second goaltender. Um, and so those things are going to cost money, but it's like three things. So we're going to have to work with what we have and hopefully add in these three things with the money that we have. And the coach is going to have to be willing to work with that because it may take a couple of years to really get all three of those things and to fully prepare all these young guys that we have. And I said it on our last episode, but if we actually do get the number one pick on Monday um, at the draft lottery, there's going to be a shit ton of people that come out of the woodwork that want to coach the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I do not. And and even if we get number two, like Adam Fantilli is no one to like snub your nose at. He is an incredible player. And like, and honestly, anyone in the top four, like we're going to be in a good position but there's just going to be more people that see that specific person like that we get out of the draft that are gonna be like okay I'm willing to take on this like mild dumpster fire of a situation in order to really ride through to this success because they'll be able to see that once we come through all of this it's gonna be great like when we start winning and like again Hiking back to our interview with Catherine, like when we start winning, there's going to be no place anybody wants to be other than Columbus. Like it's going to be so crazy here when we start getting to that level because we've waited so long. We've <laughs> experienced so much pain as Blue Jackets fans. Like the only thing I can compare, can compare it to, because I don't know much about other sports, but it's like the Browns winning the Super Bowl. Like it's, <laughs> it's all that pain and heartache and then it all paying off in the end. Like, and it's going to happen. I, I have full faith that it's going to happen, but that coach is going to need to be able to see it. Um, But I don't envy that decision. I don't envy going through that process, but 
yeah, my my stipulations are not currently working for us. Not brand new. Um, has some winning experience. If not fully a Stanley Cup, then at least like got a team to pass round to. That would be great. Um, and just like can see our mission. That's that's really what I want. Will that happen? I have no idea. But fingers crossed. Yeah, to be determined as we head into summer. An interesting to thing to note here from what you were talking about with the goaltending coach. Six different goaltenders between the posts this year for the Blue Jackets. Definitely taking on an interesting goaltending situation there. Interestingly enough, Jeremy also mentioned someone from outside of the organization with NHL experience to step into the role of head coach. Also, Laura, God love you. You gave such a fantastic answer, but you answered like my next four questions already. But we're going to ask them anyway. We're going to go through them still. But a lot of the things that you've already mentioned kind of hit on a couple of the next questions that I have. One of which kind of building off of what we were just finishing talking about, Mm. which is asking about what changes you want to see happen during this off season. Right. And one of the things that um, you mentioned that Jeremy also mentioned as well, he really harped on the defensive side of things. And that was something that blue Jackets struggled with last season too. And really, really noticeably struggled with this season as well. And just in general, Columbus iced 20 players who were classified by the NHL as rookies this season. Mm -hmm. So a lot of youth to the squad as well. But kind of building on what you were talking about, in general, what kind of changes do you want to see, maybe from specifically a squad perspective from the Blue Jackets for going into this offseason and changes for next season? Well, you know, Stephen, I'm a chatter because I was just also about to be like, oh, my God, we're only in the second period. And I have been like my episode's going to be twice as long as Jeremy's. But um, no, I think we have definitely, like I said, we've definitely freed up some space in our cap space to do some things because we are in kind of a interesting circumstance right now where we don't we only have like a couple players that we really need to like resign if we're going to resign. Um, that are coming in to like, they're going to be RFAs. So you want to kind of get that bridge deal that like, if we want to keep them around, we want to shore them up right now. Um, they're not going to be a ton of money to do that. So that kind of puts us in a nice place because as we keep going in the like 24, 25, 25, 26 circumstances, we have a lot more players that are coming up that are, gonna need big contracts if we want to keep them and that as we know costs a lot of money and the nhl so far is not super keen on raising the cap limit very quickly i think there's potential we'll get like an extra one million dollars this year um or for the upcoming season which in hockey terminology is not a lot (laughs) it's basically like a little more than an entry level contract for a rookie. Like one million dollars doesn't it goes farther in the NHL than it goes in like the NBA or the MLB or like in the NFL because their contracts like are insane. Like some players are making as much as a whole NHL team gets in a season. So 
you know, so we are, you know, we're not as cash strapped as other teams. So we, like I said, we have a little bit of room. Um, and I think honestly, my first choice, well, this is going to be hard because goaltending is really an issue, but I still think my first choice because your goaltender can only do so much, but if your defense sucks, it makes it so much harder for them. So I am going to stick with this. I think our first decision needs to be acquiring another number one, number two level defenseman to help Zacharinsky. Whether they play on the same line or whether this guy plays on the second, you know, or not line, pairing. Um, this guy plays on the second pairing so that our first and second pairings are the same strength level. Because there are definitely players that you can put with a like all-star level defenseman like Adam Boquist is getting there um Andrew Peak as much as he like does stupid things sometimes like he was our most consistent defenseman like in this you know last season Eric Cabranson like he didn't live up to what anyone was anticipating this season but I feel like well, I, I should say I want to feel like in his second year that he, with a new coach, with a very clear set of expectations and a more clear understanding of the importance of his veteran presence, that he's going to step up. Like, and that he he may not move his way up to, like, second line, but he's definitely a solid third Again, I keep saying lines. Second pairing. He's only a solid third pairing defenseman and would be even better if he like gets his shit together and lives up to that $4 million a year situation. But I want to see another strong defenseman because, again, Zach is super prone to injury. Um, and most defensemen are. like That's just part of it. Like They take a lot of hits. They hit a lot of people. They are in the places where the puck gets shot at the most. Like how many times the year before was Zach hit in the face? Like 12. Like he just takes pucks to the face a lot. Um, and they have to, you know, they have to black shots and all that sort of stuff. And yes, he's a more offensively minded defenseman, um, but he still takes just as much dings as anybody else. And we have a lot of weaknesses in our defensemen. Like, Nick Blankenberg gets hurt a lot. Andrew Peak got out for the whole, not Andrew Peak, but Jake Bean got out for the whole season. Like, it just, we can't. Like, we can't have these defensemen anymore that are just so injury prone. And, you know, Adam Boquist is super injury prone, as Jeremy <laughs> loves to point out. Um, and we just can't do it. So, but I want a all-star level defenseman that is kind of the opposite of Zach. I want him to be a true defenseman. I don't care if he doesn't score a, score a single goal in the season, but if he can help our goaltending and keep pucks out of the net and keep people out of the crease, that's all I want. And if he can fuck up people along the way, sure. But like let Zach score as many goals as he wants, but we need a true true defenseman and so if we can pay the money for someone that really like that's what they do i'm all about it so that's my number one if anything else yeah. can come with that like 
a strong center, like but that also depends on like draft situation. Um, or like a you know, a good goalie that can back up Elvis, great. But if it was me, my focus would be defenseman. Absolutely. Last year, I'm gonna bring up a quote. Ooh, you mentioned for this question in last year's exit interview, you said, and I quote, we need a stronger all-star center. Now, granted, he's not a center, he's a winger, but mm-hmm. two months later on in July, the Blue Jackets signed Johnny Gaudreau, an all-star in his own right, maybe not, again, in the center position, more a winger, but still an all-star. Yeah. So my question for you is, are you psychic? And if so, <laughs> then what is your psychic prediction for what Yarmo Kekalina will do next? Speak it into existence for everybody. What's the oh, next move? Let's see. Well, because this is different now, too, because even if he doesn't, you know, want to admit it, I do think somewhat Yarmo's ass is on the line a little bit. Um, I don't think that it's as bad as people say, but so I think he's going to be really looking for the next thing that's going to be like. I think he feels very lucky that Johnny Gaudreau sort of fell into our laps. Like, this is very much a situation where like of course every team put their name into that hat like you would be stupid to not even teams that knew they couldn't afford him like philadelphia like you still put your name into that bucket for him to consider and you know everyone's seen the behind the battle like and we've you know we're fortunate enough to be able to talk to people who were like in the room or like in and around that circumstance and like not a single soul in that building thought that Johnny Goudreau was coming to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, you know, our friend Kyle, who's on the artillery, like he has his pinned tweet from last summer is um, Johnny Goudreau goes to Columbus. Like, you know, all this, like he predict like, and it's the weirdest circumstance. Like, I think it was like, I don't know, a week before it happened or something, but I think that Yarmo, again, he feels very lucky about Johnny because, again, that is a big help for Columbus. Like, people like Johnny, who are all-star quality, who are well-known in the league, because you're going to be hard-pressed, like, because we were a smaller market team, that a lot of people know names of players who play for Columbus. Like, they're going to know Elvis because his name is Elvis. Like, it's not hard to, like, remember that. They're going to know Boone, but more so now because there was, like, other teams that were interested in Boone Jenner. But other than that, I think if you went up to someone prior to us getting Johnny and said, do you know someone who currently plays for the Blue Jackets? They wouldn't really be able to tell you. Like, unless they're, like, hardcore hockey people. Now, if that you said, do you know anyone who ever played for the Blue Jackets? They're going to say Rick Nash. Because, like, in any list that you ever see, the most notable player for the Columbus Blue Jackets is Rick Nash. Which, he earned it. Like, absolutely. Absolutely earned it. Um, But we just don't have super notable people that have current that have ever played for the blue jackets like if someone notable played for us they became notable after they played for us 
like Bill Carlson, who plays in Vegas. Like, he was great here, but no one really, like, I mean, that's why he was up for that extension draft. Like, and then he went to Vegas and, like, his shit blew up. Like, Artemi Panarin, like, he was a big deal in Chicago for the time that he was there. But then, yes, he played really great for Columbus, but still no one cared about that. They only cared when he walked away from the largest amount of money ever offered to a player to leave Columbus. Like, and so I think one of Yarmo's goals will be to add more people like that. But I think his first priority is just level of play. Like he doesn't, he's like, I don't care. Like if they're good, they're good. I don't care. People know who they are. Um, So yeah, I don't, oh God. I think his next move is going to be, well, he's real pissed about goaltending. So even though I want a defenseman, I think his first priority is going to be this goaltending situation and getting either someone to fully back up Elvis or to put us in a situation where we're in another goalie tandem situation where we have two technically number one goalies because we just let up so many goals this season and last season that management just can't do it anymore. Like they just can't, they can't do it. So I think his next move will be goaltending. I think it will be a good move. I think it will be a smart move. Definitely some upgrades to make in that arena for sure. And so a lot of the names that you just mentioned though, and that answer leads me into our second to last question here in this period, which is asking about untouchables for the off season for the Blue Jackets heading into next season, who falls into that category for you of untouchables for the Blue Jackets? Ooh. um, Obviously Johnny, I think, I mean, that's just a no brainer. Like he's not going anywhere. Like I think they're going to do everything in their power to keep him for his entire seven years. And then potentially his very last contract because He's 29, going to be 30. And so um, he'll be into his mid-30s by the time this contract is over. So if he's still able, he'll only play a few more years. So um, they'll want to lock him down for that, I think. Um, but I, I think Patrick is an untouchable. I don't think they're ready to, to give up on that situation. Um, plus I don't think that this past season really, I mean, I'm sure people would still want him obviously because it's Patrick Laine, but I don't think that they're willing to give that up. Plus he's, you know, very willing and excited about potentially switching to being a center. So, or at least giving it the good old college try. Um, I want Boone to be an untouchable um, just because of everything I said when I made him his, uh, him our first star. I think we need him as far as a morale standpoint goes. Um, Jeremy always fights with me when I say, why do people keep wanting to take him from us? And it's like, he's good. Like he is good for uh, who he is as a player. And like, he could add a lot to another team, but in my opinion, he adds more to us and, I don't want to see him. Go. I don't think they're going to. It's just 
the stupid rumor mill rumor mill of people that are like, well, you know, if they got the right offer, I still don't think that they would do it. Um, I would, mm, as much as it would kill me, I don't think technically Elvis is untouchable anymore. The fact is, is that his contract is not ideal for anyone. Like, there would have to be a lot of, like, plus he has a pretty, now that he's in his, now that he's through his first year, he has, like, a pretty strict no-move clause. So, like, he would have to be on board with that. Because I think his no-move clause is for five years. Or, no, for three of the five that he signed for. So, if I'm right, I could be totally wrong. And Jeremy will be like, he doesn't have a no-move clause. Again, he knows more about that stuff than I do. But, um, but, but like I said, his contract is just not desirable to anybody. So, I don't think they're going to be able to move him. Um I would like to say that Zach is untouchable, but honestly, we're now in our second shoulder surgery. Um, you know, obviously the time that he did get to play this season, which was short, was pretty good. But he suffered a lot of injuries the season before, and so we just... He hasn't had a consistent full season. Like, which again, I know defensemen get injured regularly, but he's out when he's injured, he's out for long stretches of time. And so we really haven't seen a whole lot of that. And his best season was the, or his best scoring season, I should say, is the shortened uh, 1920 season when we ended um, for COVID. And, you know, it's been quite a little bit since that. I know it seems like both yesterday and a million years ago all at the same time, but I don't, and his contract isn't terrible. I mean, it's a lot, but he still has a good reputation in the league. And so I think maybe someone would take him if given, if we were given the right situation. But other than that, I pretty much think, I mean, our prospects and our rookies, like, I don't think Marchenko's going anywhere. I don't think Kent Johnson's going anywhere. Um, oh, there's a couple guys who are like currently, I think, still riding their experiments. So, like, I really think they want to see how Cole Sillinger does in his third year. He had a really, really difficult second year. Um, and I don't think they're willing to give up on that experiment yet. So, um, same with Igor Chinnikov. Um, I think they want to give him, they just signed a one year extension for him. So I think they want to give it another shot, but God, there's not really, cause all of this, obviously there's emotional things where you're like, Oh my God, they would never trade away a strong Corrale. Like, but they would like, <laughs> you know, they, they just would. And he's a person that would be an easy go for, for another team. Like, They'd be like, absolutely, great contract, great player, still has quite a bit of youth on his side. Like, sure. Like, has played for Boston and, like, for us. Like, yeah, absolutely. But everyone else, I think, is fair game. And I don't know if you're going to ask me which players specifically I would be okay with leaving, um, but I do have a small list. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> that was not one of my questions um, on the list, but you're more than welcome to share if you want. But Oh, I won't talk about them, but I'll just say okay. their names. I'd be okay with Jack Rosovic, Emil Bemstrom. Um, ooh. I want to say Jake Bean because I just, I, I used to be a huge proponent of him, but then I'm just, I, something I can't, but yeah, Jack Roslovic and Emil Bemstrom for sure, please somebody take them. Anybody. I don't care. I can't deal with them on our team anymore, but yes. You and Jeremy, but <laughs> for the question that I brought up to Jeremy about, because he also had a quote, in his last exit interview for the what changes do you want to see during the offseason, he mentioned um, and said that Yarmo will make a trade that nobody sees coming. So I mentioned that to him. And so in his answer of talking about, you know, being a psychic or seeing what was going to be going on um, with Yarmo and looking into his Magic 8-ball, he mentioned that most likely two of the players that m have a higher chance of leaving the team this year Jack Roslick, Emil Benjamin. So very similar in your assessment of that. But what I want to move on to is our final question of our second period here, because we've already mentioned it several times in this conversation. You all have mentioned it ad nauseum in the past few episodes on the podcast, but May 8th, big day, potentially a monumental change for the Blue Jackets and their organization if they were to land the number one spot in the NHL lottery for the NHL draft this season. However, if the Blue Jackets do not land the first spot in the draft and aren't able to draft Connor Bedard, for you, at pick two, three, or four, what position do you want to see the Blue Jackets draft? Oh... It's such a loaded question because we're literally staring down the precipice of like something that would be franchise altering for the Blue Jackets. Um, and, you know, everyone has an opinion about how we do, how the NHL does this with the draft lottery, because obviously there are other leagues across the country um, that don't do a lottery, that their last team picks first. Like it's very clean, very simple. Um, the NHL has firm beliefs that they think that if we do it that way, then that will promote tanking in a season. And I was like, kind of sure that that already happens. Like, regardless, like, I don't know if you've met the Chicago Blackhawks, but like, that's not an organization that I think does anything, honestly. So, um, and I definitely think towards the end of this season, they were um, tanking hard for Bedard, but um and it's, it's such pressure. Like, it's almost like that situation where you're like, get called on in class and like all eyes are on Columbus. Like, will Gary Bettman and the hockey gods let us get to the first overall pick is just really everyone's focus. But, and it's also weird because I think the first five players that are projected to get picked in this year's draft are all centers. Like they're all projected to be NHL level, level centers um, so I will say, I think more than likely if we, wherever we fall one through four, we're getting a center prospect. Um, I do believe one of them and I will not remember his name, 
but one of them will not be able to play immediately. He is a Russian player and he is in a KHL situation and the KHL does not let them break their contracts. So whomever gets him, which also may play into where he gets picked too, because he would have to get picked by a team that's okay with waiting to however long he has. Um, typically, I think it's three years for him to be able to come over. But um, so essentially, like, if things go as planned, we'll end up picking a center. Now, I will say that when we picked Kent Johnson, he was also billed as a center. When we picked Cole Cylinder, he was also billed as a center. All of these guys come in and Connor Bedard center. Like he is a generational player. Like he and Adam Fantilli too. Like those are good expectations that they will play NHL level center positions, but you don't always get that when they're labeled that. Um, but should Yarmo go like weirdly off book, which he does sometimes, um, and shake up the whole like draft situation. Um, I could see him. Oh God, no, I don't know. Maybe not. Because we picked two defensemen last year, and they're doing pretty like in the first round, and they're doing well. So. And no one picks a goalie in the first round. Like, absolutely. Because, again, 19-year-old goalies don't see the NHL until they're, like, 26. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's going to go with a center or a forward. I guess we'll say a forward. Um, and, yeah, it'll just be – he may, like, if we say we end up third, um, he may go off book and pick a, a guy that – is lower in the expected picks um, just because his scouting team, like, is so good. Like, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know much about other teams, but, like, from what I've read and what I've taught myself about scouting and what I know about the, the team that's put together for Columbus, like, they are so thorough. And they, like, hours upon hours upon hours every single season traveling and watching these these kids from all over the place like and so that would be the only surprise thing I could think is that he picks off off book like and which will be really sad for that person who was supposed to go and then doesn't go but yeah it's just gonna be and it's gonna be nuts on Monday if they actually if we actually get picked first like people are going to lose their minds and I'm actually very happy because I think Jeremy is actually going to be able to be to come to the party now and so I feel like more secure in my safety that he will be there with me um, just in case people go insane so absolutely Jeremy mentioned that center right off the bat and if they don't get Bedard the other name that you mentioned earlier was Fantilli. So he's hoping that we can pick second in order to get him as well. And so definitely something to look forward to for May 8th. A lot of excitement, a lot of buzz building around it. Fingers crossed. We are going to head into our second intermission now. And I have a new segment for you all that I'm really excited about. Ooh. I'm calling this one the Slap Shots. So I'm going to okay. five rapid fire questions. 
that I'm going to Okay, good. You. And keep me to rapid fire too, because again, yeah. I am super chatty. <laughs> That's okay. It's no worries. So I have five rapid fire questions that I will rattle off here. And so here we go. First one. If this season was a memoir, what would be the title? Everything's on fire. <laughs> Over under, will the Jackets win more than 37 games this upcoming season? Over. Over. All right. Who wins in a hockey fight, Boomer or Stinger? Oh, Boomer's going to play dirty, so Boomer. <laughs> okay. If you could interview one member of the Blue Jackets organization, who would it be? Oh, again, so Homer of me. Elvis Mars Lincoln. Elvis. I should have anticipated that. <laughs> should have anticipated. Jeremy spent a lot of time um, thinking about that one. And actually, the name that he brought up is a name that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about um, Matthew Olivier was Joe hmm. Shelley. So, oh, interesting that that name kind of came up in both of our uh, conversations. And lastly, yes or no. Will exit interviews take place in June of 2024? No. <laughs> it's so unfortunate that last year we did our exit interviews in May, and now we're doing them in April. I know these won't come out until May, but we're doing it on Sunday the 30th. And so I hope, I hope that next year we can do them a little bit later in the year because the Blue Jackets are still playing, but... We'll just have to wait and see how it goes. I think we might get like later into May, maybe. I but I don't think we're quite we're quite there to get it into June. But Very I could fair. be wrong. Very fair. Well, speaking of future, though, um, I want to talk about the podcast now for our Ooh. third period. And actually, before we get to future, I want to talk about the year that was for the podcast for subjectively speaking and you and Jeremy, because you all had an incredible year. And to start off with some of the interviews that you all got to do are just incredible. And I hope I didn't miss anybody, but you all got to go to Traverse city and you got to interview a lot of people there, including a lot of prospects. Mm -hmm. You all got to interview general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen. You all got to interview people like Rick Nash, Boone Jenner, Bob McElhaney from the Center Ice Foundation, Andrew Peake, Bucket Hat Kyle from CBJ Artillery, and most recently, the most recent episode of Subjectively Speaking with Catherine Dobbs. And so, again, much like last year, I won't ask you who your favorite interview was, but for you, Laura, your favorite moments or your favorite insights that you got to experience from all of these wonderful people that you got to talk to this year for the podcast oh god yeah now that you've listed them out it has been like quite quite a year um i will say that the the biggest thing and i don't know if people would naturally think that we would say this but like the biggest thing for me was the opportunity to speak with Yarmo. That was something that we, it was kind of like a Hail Mary situation. Like we really just wanted to talk to someone prior to the draft. Um, so we put in um, our requests. I think we put in, oh God, 
we put in for anyone in the front office, just like whomever. And then I think we put in for like three players. I think, or no, two. We wanted to talk to Nick Blankenberg, Cole, no, three. Nick Blankenberg, Cole Cylinder, or Kent Johnson. And none of the players were available, of course, because <laughs> it was summer and they're like, oh, we're not doing things for you. Um, and so we were just kind of like, okay, well, they're just going to give us somebody like, you know, a, a scout or something like, you know. And so when they came back with, um, yeah, Yarma would love to talk to you. And we just were kind of like, I think I read the email like six times to make sure that it was like the right like name that they put down there. Uh, Cause that just, it was never something that we ever thought we would get the, the opportunity to do. Um, and I think we told this story on the podcast involving his interview, but there was like a scheduling mishap on their end. And we were supposed to record the interview on a Friday and we were sitting like in the Zoom or in the StreamYard room or whatever for like 20 minutes. And we were like, um, I don't, what's happening? And so finally we reached out to our contact and they were like, oh my God. Like we forgot to put it on his calendar. Like he's gone for the day. Like, and they were like, but we've spoken to him and he feels terrible. And so he really wants to make up for it. And we were like, oh, okay. Like that's, we thought for sure that it, like this was just going to be like a one and done situation and our opportunity was gone. Um, but he actually was able, he said, I will talk to them on Saturday. So the next day, and he was literally like, however long of time they want, I don't care. They can ask me whatever they want. I am, am there. Like he felt that bad. Um, and we found out too, that not only was it the day before he was leaving for Montreal to go to the draft, but it was also like, it either was his birthday or it was the day before his birthday and just like a weekend in general for like literally one of the busiest people ever. Like he's just busy all the time. And he really took the time to just like sit and talk with us and answered all of our questions like could not have been nicer and yeah and even like people who we know like that we work with like you know had come up to us later on and been like you got yarmo that's amazing like and we're like yeah we i don't know like we don't know how to react like we still don't believe that it actually happened um but yeah, that what I I think is like the biggest. Not I mean, everyone has been wonderful and great, um, but Yarma was definitely the most surprising. And then of course, like it's a fever dream to like imagine the two of us standing in the grass beside a like little community ice arena and speaking to one of the greatest Blue Jackets, if not the greatest Blue Jacket of all time, Rick Nash, just like super casually, <laughs> um, and. It was a big deal for me, but it was a much bigger deal for Jeremy because he's been a day one Blue Jackets fan and Rick Nash was his favorite player growing up and all that sort of stuff. So like to be able to see that from like a best a best friend perspective, like that was really special to me, like to be able to see him. And even <laughs> this is a funny conversation. 
or thing that happened because we didn't we don't have a lot of pictures i think we have like two pictures from this situation and we don't have any like video of it we just have the audio recording and so he asked me he's like are you gonna be offended if i crop you out of the one picture so i can make this my profile photo and i was like no it's totally i was like this is your like dream situation like i am not offended I was like, the full photo will be up on our social media for the podcast. So you can do whatever you want with your personal page. But yeah, those are just, we we're so lucky and we're just so grateful. And I, it sounds kind of like goofy to be that way, but like, we just are so grateful. We get, we've, this has been so much more than we ever thought, especially when it comes to interviews and like the access we've been given. Absolutely. And so I know I plugged it with the interview with Jeremy, but if you want to go back and listen to the episode where Jeremy and Laura interview Yarmo Pekalainen, it is episode 122 of the podcast. And if you want to listen to the conversations that Jeremy and Laura had with uh, Rick Nash and other folks in Traverse City, that's episode 132. So if you're looking for either of those interviews, they're both fantastic they're awesome you'll hear the question that jeremy and laura always get to ask all of their guests at the very end of all their conversations um whether they're superstitious or not i always love hearing people's answers so go give those episodes a listen i'll plug that here because yeah they're great interviews all of the great all of the interviews have been great in their own right too and all of them talk about different things that people are doing not just for the blue jacks organization but also in Columbus for hockey itself and making hockey accessible to everybody. And so I think you all have been great storytellers in that regard. And so, yeah, it's just awesome to listen to those interviews. They're always great additions into the rotation of talking about the game, which, you know, this season wasn't always the best for. So mixing all of that in is definitely great, but back to talking about the podcast, some highlights that you all had, Topping the list, of course, is being the 2022 Columbus Podcast Awards Entertainment Podcast of the Year. But other than that, you all recorded your 150th episode. You all had your second birthday. And not to mention all of the success that you've had with people listening to the podcast. 62 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and 11 five-star reviews on Spotify. And so for you, when you reflect on the year that was which was incredible. And you all got to do such amazing things with this projecting into the future though. What is your vision for the podcast going forward and what can people expect as they continue to tune in for the summer and into next season with you and Jeremy here on subjectively speaking? Oh, this is what I may cry. This is where I don't know. I don't know where if, if or where Jeremy got emotional, but and we, we talk about it sometimes on the show, like very vaguely, but what a lot of people don't know is like this past season of the show um, and of obviously the hockey season um, was probably some of the most difficult times for us personally. Um, it was the first se- first full season that we've dealt with Jeremy living in Michigan Um which brought its own level of circumstances and interesting and also just an incredibly difficult year for me personally. Um, and 
which made both the podcast work more, more, it's hard to explain, more of a, like, it's what brought joy to both of us. Um, But it has also caused, like, not issues, but, like, definitely things that we want to fix for the upcoming year because we do so like we do so love so much doing the show and obviously doing it together and all that sort of stuff and if you know us you know how different our lives look now at the ending of this season than they did when we you know I would say from July to July like how different everything looks um so to have all that happening in our personal lives and to still be able to have the growth and success that we've had like I think when I look back on it for however long that we do this this probably will be the most important year for us um just from everything we overcame everything we you know succeeded in doing any sort of notoriety that we got um and it's just been so impactful in so many ways that I think looking forward, we're going to be even more conscious of like the content that we're putting out, but more importantly, we're going to be more conscious of continuing to make this show something that we love to do and something that brings us joy. Um, so part of that is going to be prioritizing and I know this is not going to make a ton of sense to people, but like prior to prioritizing Jeremy and I being friends um, and not coming first in this situation. Um, it's not necessarily going to mean less content from us, um, but I think it's going to be healthier content and like really focusing on the aspects of things that like, bring us joy and bring us joy as friends because that's how this started like we were best friends he introduced me to hockey i got obsessed he loved that i was obsessed and then COVID happened and COVID really stopped this activity that we loved to do so much together and that's how the podcast was born is we wanted to recreate you know those conversations and steven as you know as well like one of our first listeners like we literally didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Like the fact that we made it past like the first six months was for someone, for two people that have like intense adult ADHD and like in crazy lives. Like we were impressed that we made it past those first six months and to see everything that we've accomplished in the last, you know, couple of years is really kind of insane. Like it just, it blows our mind and, but it has, you know, has made us think about how we want to continue moving forward. So we haven't had full conversations or had like our goal setting. We just know that we're, you know, going down to one episode a week for the off season, unless something crazy huge happens, so we'll do an extra episode, but, and just sort of focusing on spending more time together as friends. Um, and I think that that's going to be the biggest benefits for us moving forward. Cause we're both still very dedicated to this, this show and our business that we've created from it. And obviously the incredible community that we've become a part of out of it. But I think that our content will get even better if we can refocus and go back to some of that, like more natural, like we, we, when we started out, 
again, not that we're like fighting or anything. I don't want people to think that, but like, it's just, there's struggles in doing this and it's a big commitment. And um, we both have a lot of things in our, you know, personal lives that are going on and he lives five and a half hours from here. So like, it's, <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Um, but the main point I want to get out of that is that like, our refocus is going to make this show even better. And I can't wait to see, you know, what things come, come from that. And I think it's going to be a lot of, a lot of really great things. And we're of course going to bring everyone along with us as we always have. I love that answer. And I especially love it because yeah, it was right around the last question and this question where Jeremy was really, you know, in his emotions too. And that's the point of me bringing this up is because you're both people, you're both human. Um, and you know, I think one of the coolest things about what you said is that Jeremy said something very similar. And so even though you all really haven't, you know, touched base to the point of like making goals and sitting down together and doing that, you both mentioned the human aspect of what this is. And I think it was in your interview with Catherine Dobbs and maybe in a previous episode too, where one of the things that was really talked about with that is that you all are storytellers. So you are telling the story of the Blue Jackets, but it's beyond that. You're human and there are lives that you're living outside of just talking about the Blue Jackets when you're losing a hockey game, right? And so I think what's important is that you're humanizing yourselves along the way, which really sticks with people and really drives the point home but you're also humanizing the people that you're able to talk to as well. And I think there's such a special combination of those things that really makes the both of you successful in what you're doing that all I can say at this point is to just keep it up because obviously it's striking a chord with lots and lots of people and with the organization. And so it's been really awesome to see. And speaking of the organization, a final question here for our exit interview together is a message for the organization. Right. If there was some parting words that you could say for your exit interview of what you would tell the Blue Jackets organization, what would your message to them be? Oh, that's so hard. Because um, there's like a couple ways that you can go about it, I think, in my opinion. And there's like a more business forward way that you can go about it. But then there's like the fan, the total fan experience, which I think that will be kind of how I want to go about it. And I think my message to them would be like, we're here. Like the fifth line isn't going anywhere. And I think that this past season is a testament to that. Um, I don't think that you see many teams that are 31st, 32nd in the league and still selling out home games. Um, consistently and I don't think that you see many teams in you know the bottom half of that like having other teams across the league be curious as to how you're doing it um, and so if they weren't aware of it before which I, I know that they are but like we're not going anywhere and we're only going to get bigger and we're only going to get stronger because even if you know, some fall away because they're mad about this or mad about that. Like people who are true blue, blue jackets. And again, I'm going to call back at our interview with Catherine saying that being a blue jacket is more than just being a player on the ice. Like when you become a part of this community, like you are a blue jacket and there's something special. 
And sometimes it's hard to describe, like, but there is something special about this specific fan community in this specific situation. Like, I've never experienced anything like this. And like, yes, you can say that that's because I'm like a pretty new sports fan. So like, I don't, I haven't like grown up with it, but I have grown up in other circumstances where like big groups of people like a certain thing and like the kind of community and the kind of welcomeness and the kind of people that we've met through not only the podcast, but even before when we were just fans, like, there's something special about every single one of those interactions. And I think that's why I can harken back to the point of like through every single up and down that this team, this organization, whatever goes through, the fans are going to be there because we know deep down and even not even really deep down, like I can tell you today, like I know that the blue jackets are going to win a Stanley cup at some point. Is it going to be within the next five years? I have no idea, but it will be at some point. And I know that as long as I'm breathing air on this earth, like even if I'm not living in Columbus anymore, even if we're not doing the show anymore, like I will be, I will find myself glued to the TV. I will find myself back in Columbus, like being there for that moment because that's what it means to be a blue jacket. And we just want the the organization to know like we're here for the ride and you know we're here for building and growing and showing more people how special it is to be a part of this community i think it's a great message to end our exit interview with that fifth line is here and they're ready for the team to be successful, but they're here for the ride no matter what. And so, Laura, with that, that is the end of our exit interview. So thank you for all the expertise that you have provided. It was awesome to catch up with you. And yeah, that does it for all the questions that I have to go through. So I'll hand it back over to you for whatever all, you have. Yeah, all the, the, the wrap-up wrap stuff. Up. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I cannot thank you enough for again doing this for us. We love having you on the show. And, you know, Jeremy texted me between our two interviews and was just like, Stephen is so good. Like, just so good. And it's true. We, I mean, not only are you our friend, but like, we just marvel at your ability to agree to these crazy things that we ask you to do for us. But, and we just love and appreciate you so much. And like I said, we can't wait to be there for your and Rachel's big day in 35 days. Um, and we will definitely be like, I will be taking a million pictures and probably crying. And, you know, hopefully Jeremy doesn't lock his knees and like fall over in the middle of your ceremony. So <laughs> that will be, that will be our hopes, but truly we, we cannot thank you enough. And uh, listeners, you know, not much more to add other than if you're coming out to the draft lottery party on Monday, um, at the Columbus Brewing Company. Please look for Jeremy and I. Um, we will be there and hopefully celebrating a great lottery pick number for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But um, if you're interested, all the information is on any and all of the Blue Jackets social media, but it does start at seven o'clock on Monday, May 8th. And then, you know, other than that, you can follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Subjectively Pod. You can follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at Subjectively Speaking. 
We have a gorgeous website that Jeremy designed. It's subjectivelyspeaking.com. If you want to support your two favorite hockey podcasters and get some sweet merch in exchange, you can check out our merch website, which is subjectivelymerch.com. And hopefully we'll have some new designs this summer from our other friend, Steven, <laughs> um, that all of you can check out. And then lastly, you can rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, uh, especially if Steven's doing the five stars, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll on down, hit five stars. That is our favorite number. And then, yeah, again, we don't know how the algorithm works, but likes, subscriptions, comments, listens, all that sort of stuff helps to bring more people to our hockey little community and get us noticed on the hockey podcast charts. But other than that, we just love and appreciate you all so much. So on behalf of myself and Steven and Jeremy, who we will be reunited next week um, together on the show, uh, just thank you for being here. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and we will see you all next time. Bye.